Merkel Media. I guess it's time to go back in time. Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Time is but a stubborn illusion. I have a lot of memories of the past. People are time traveling within themselves. Time travel is possible. Welcome to Reloaded Monday, everybody. We have episode 48, Monsters on the Bed. We have Brent coming on the show today, sharing his experiences from his childhood, witnessing drawers filled with human bones, a lady in white, and yes, of course, just like the title said, a monster on the bed. Let's get to Brent right now. Okay, I'll reload it. They're staying in the shadows. It's called probing. Make sure things are all clear. Clear for what? For the rest of the world. You guys hear that? the show everybody you are listening to the confessionals a proud featured show on blogtalkradio.com and a proud partner of the bomb pod media network if you listened to the show last week you know it was a pre-recorded show because my wife had our baby on friday december 8th 2017 at 9 30 in the morning actually it was 9 28 to be exact after 15 and a half hours of labor little baby benjamin anthony merkel came into this world at 17 pounds, 15.2 ounces, and 19 and a half inches long. I am ecstatic that this baby is here, he is healthy, mom is healthy, and we are happy. Thank you very much for everybody who sent good thoughts, prayers our ways. We really appreciate it a lot. If you want to see a picture of baby Benjamin, you can go to either my Facebook page, look up Tony Merkel on Facebook, you'll find me. You can see pictures there. Or you can go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the newsletter section, and sign up for a free newsletter. Every month we send out a newsletter, and in the month of December, we are going to be sending out a newsletter with some pictures of our little baby boy. So go ahead and do that. Okay, so now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and get into this week's show. If you've had an encounter or a story you'd like to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. 
My email address is theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. That's theconfessionalspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the connection section and you can reach me that way as well. Now, this week we talked to Brent and Brent has a lot of different stories to share, a lot of crazy stories to share, actually, including a story that he shares where he saw a monster on his sister's bed. Legit. All right, let's get into this week's show coming up next. Okay, tonight I have a great guest coming on. We have Brent. And uh, Brent, you and I talked a little bit through the email, and you have some really interesting things to talk about tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. How are you, Tony? I'm doing well, man. So uh, you talked to me in the email a little bit here and there, and I know there's some things that maybe you didn't cover in the email, so feel free to just talk about anything that you've experienced here. But let's just start off in the beginning when you were a kid. At least I think it's the beginning. Uh, The the very first thing you shared with me in the email was uh, you saw something on your sister's bed when you were a kid. Could you go into that and describe what you saw? Uh, Definitely. Uh, I can't really tell you what age I was, but I remember it's strange. I was the best way I could describe it was I was low to the ground. Uh, I don't know if that means I was crawling or just that I was so small that uh, I, I wasn't very tall yet. I'll just say that. And I remember the layout of our house. Now, this is the only memory I have of this house. I don't know where it was, uh, what city. I've lived in several different states, but I guess the cut to the chase is I was in the living room and I remember it was kind of an apartment style layout. Uh, If you were at our front door, you could look straight down the hall and at the end of the hall would be my sister's room. On the left, we had a television set up with a small living room area. And on the right was the kitchen area. Now, I remember my mother was, uh, I still remember that she had a pot boiling on the stove. And the only reason... I know it was boiling is because, you know, you could pretty much walk into a kitchen as an adult. And if you see that steam rapidly rising out of the pot, you know, it's a boiling pot. So I still remember the pot was boiling. um, And I looked down to the end of the hall and at the end of the hall was my sister's room and her door was open. And right. If you were looking directly down the hall, her bed would be sitting right in front or basically right where you were to look into her room. And the only way that I could really describe it was it was almost like a black, a large black mass on her bed. But there's several things that it makes it strange to me because, you know, as an adult, I'm looking at it like our growing up, rather, I was looking at it as if, you know, why would there be a Bigfoot in my sister's room? You know, it just it didn't make any sense. And. I guess what made it strange to me, well, minus the fact that there's a giant black mass on my sister's bed, is it was breathing. Like, I I don't know if it was physically breathing. I wasn't that close to it, but you could see its chest or its stomach rising and falling just up and down and then up and down. And I remember it, it, it scared me, but I don't even know if I could explain what I was seeing to my mother at that point in time. And as a child uh, and growing up as a young adult, I just, 
kind of tried to, I don't want to say push it back, but in a sense, uh, it's like I said before, you know, why would there be a Bigfoot in my sister's room? And that's all that I really knew it as until I turned an adult. And, you know, I listened to a lot of shows and do a lot of research into the occult. And, you know, I heard one time there was somebody speaking and they started talking about a demon called Eserim. And I might be mispronouncing that. Um, and they're called the hairy ones. And I guess it kind of changed everything for me at that point in time, because my entire life, it didn't make sense that there would be a Bigfoot in my sister's bed as a child. But a demon is a whole different story. But with that being said, what doesn't make sense to me still is why would a demon be breathing? You know, and I don't know if demons breathe or if they're uh, just an incarnation of some kind, but the rising and the falling of the chest is uh, what still kind of throws me for a loop today because I don't understand why it would be breathing. Uh, I don't understand really the entire situation. I don't know why there would be a black something on my sister's bed. And it, it wasn't like a normal, the size of a person. I, I would say that it was the size of two or three people. It took up basically the entire bed. Um, and then I guess after I heard the description of this class of demon is when it really kind of, it started to make a little bit more sense about what could have been going on. Now I'm not a hundred percent certain that is what it was, but what I am a hundred percent certain of is that, uh, this was something that I had really seen. And I know that seeing something like that would make a lot more sense being a demon than uh, Bigfoot sleeping in the house, you know, with nobody else noticing it. Yeah, for sure. So this big black mass, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you got the impression that it was very physical. Oh, definitely. It was, it was physical. I, and I don't remember if, you know, there was any kind of, if the bed shows that there was the weight, like if it was kind of buckling under the weight, I don't, I can't say that it was, uh, that there was other signs of there being a giant creature on this bed or a giant being, whatever you'd like to call it. I just know that there was something physically there. And yes, I, I, it's really just all that I could say about that. You know, it, I know it terrified me and uh, and only growing up and getting older have I come to realize that, you know, it's probably, I don't want to say it was a dream because it's, there's nothing about it that feels like a dream and the memory is not of a dream. It's just, uh, I was never able to explain it until I started actually uh, reading into things, I guess you could say more occult type topics. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, and when, when the whole thing with the, a demon breathing, I mean, I don't know. I, I often think sometimes we, we try to take human characteristics and explain away things or, or try to understand certain things. And sometimes with this stuff, it's just it's hard to understand why certain things happen the way they happen. You know, you know it happened, but you don't understand why it happened or why did it happen the way it happened. Uh, I mean, people suggest that aliens uh that, that there's a lot of people out there that say aliens are demons and one of the things that 
I've heard people say is that they believe that alien, the aliens people see, the greys, are actually just some kind of manufactured evil suit that the demons somehow made to inhabit. Now, the whole idea is that demons need a place to inhabit. That's why they're possessing people and animals and inanimate objects and things like that. And so they, they created a house to, to live in. I don't know. That's just the, obviously that's a theory out there. I've heard people say that, but it's just the idea that, you know, people take a demon and they, they say it's an alien or is demon and to make it physical, they try to explain why the demon is physical, you know? And so that's, that's a really long explanation, but <laughs> uh, I, I just would say that, you know, I think, I don't know, it, it's hard to understand why certain things happen the way they happen. Now, did anybody ever suggest that the house that you were living in was haunted at all? See, that's one thing, Tony, that I was actually just thinking about is I cannot verify that that house was the house that we lived in, that my mother, for instance, she wouldn't open one of the closet doors. She would always have my dad go to a closet and open it. And I was so young whenever uh, we lived at this location that I don't know if this is the house that she was speaking about. Um, but we have lived in houses before, actually two or three now, where there's, I would say, yes, some form of haunting. But the only the one house, which I cannot verify is this particular place that I'm speaking of was a house where my mom was would talk about it growing up where she was visibly shaken by a, something that she felt in that house. Now, I don't think she ever physically saw anything, but I remember multiple times growing up, she would talk about, you know, there's this one closet she just couldn't open the door to, and it's the one that had the vacuum cleaner in it. So she would never vacuum in the house because she wouldn't open the closet until my dad got home and opened it for, got the vacuum cleaner out. But I do not know if this is that particular house, Tony. Okay. Well, I mean, it sounds like uh, there's definitely something going on there, whether it's, you know, a haunting or, or something deliberately trying to show itself to you. Uh, I don't know. Do you think that this is something that is a one-time thing though? I mean, cause you haven't seen anything like that since, right? Uh, no, I had, that is the only time that I had ever seen anything even remotely close to that. And, you know, even researching some of the things that I've talked to you about, uh, as far as like the Se'erim, uh, demon class, it says they're the goat demons are, I think they say they have goat heads basically. Now I didn't see a head, so I can't for certain say if this thing had a goat head it didn't you know lift its head up and look at me it was just this thing whatever it was in that room <laughs> like you like you said as oddly enough as it sounds breathing uh are making the motions of breathing I'm not sure which one it was so they say this if i pronounce it right i'm not even sure Se'erim is some kind of goat demon yes from what i understand um it's I guess everybody's seen the images of Baphomet, you know, or the goat, goat-headed demons of some form right. or another uh, with the hooves. And that's, from what I understand, that would be what this thing would be considered. But I did not see horns. I did not see hoofs. I didn't see 
anything like that where I could, you know, a hundred percent say for certain that, Hey, this is what it was. You know, I saw this detail and that detail. All I know was it was a giant black hairy mass in the bed and just Bigfoot didn't really make sense to me growing up. Wow. Did you even think about Bigfoot at the time? No, no, definitely not. I wouldn't have had any idea what a Bigfoot was. Uh, I mean, I was young, Tony. I mean, this is one of the first memories that I have in my life. And, you know, I can only think of one memory that I have before that. And that's a whole nother uh, bag of strangeness. But yeah, this is, I would not have known what a Bigfoot was, much less what a demon was or anything like that. It was just, it's just something that happened and it's always been just, I guess I would describe it as uh, you drive a truck, for instance, and you did, you ran some routes last week at work. As well as you remember any of those routes that you ran last week is as well as I remember this memory in my head. And it was, you know, 30 plus years ago now, I would imagine. So I don't know. It's, it's definitely left in, I don't want to say an imprint in a bad way, but for me to have that memory in my head the entire time I grew up, you know, not having any idea of what to, to even classify it as it's, uh, I don't know. I don't know, Tony. It's just, it's, it's really hard to explain, you know, and it's almost, I don't want to say it's hard to talk about because it's not hard to talk about, but it's just, you could put your yourself in other people's shoes to where, you know, if I heard somebody saying, you know, when I was really young, I saw a hairy black mass in my sister's bed, you know, I'd probably be on the other end like, oh, I don't, I don't know about that. But, you know, having it, having it happen to me, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's a weird experience to look back on and know that this happened. And, you know, it's not really one of those things that you just go around talking with people about. You know, I saw a big black hairy thing in my sister's bed. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, I totally get it, yeah. man. I wanted to say that, you know, you you said that you saw breathing, and I know I keep coming back to this, but I just I do for me personally find this interesting that you said that you saw a breathing, and you it caught you off guard too when you look back at it because why would a demon be breathing? But I would say this that. Uh, I don't know. Have you ever heard the show Sasquatch Chronicles? You probably heard me mention it on the show. Yes, I've heard you mention it. Previously. Okay. So the the host on that show, Wes Germer, he just put out a new show yesterday. And I can't remember the name of the show for the life of me right now. But him and I were talking about the show that he was putting out. And he interviewed a guy who saw something... Uh, it's hard to it's hard to even describe what this guy saw, at least how he described it. But basically what this guy said is that he was backing out of his driveway and oh the the show's called Strange Property. Okay, so it's episode three seventy eight, Strange Property. And this guy said that he was backing out of his driveway with his girlfriend and he saw he saw something, I believe he said it was Harry, up in a tree and it had a goat head. He pulls his gun out of his truck and he shoots it and kills it. And so he calls, he's, he's telling this to Wes and Wes is like, you shot a Baphomet. And the guy's like, what, what's that? And he told him to Google it while they're on the phone. And the guy's like, quiet for a few seconds. And he's like, that's what I shot. So 
this guy who has no idea what Baphomet is, he doesn't know any of this stuff, is calling Wes and telling him that he he shot some kind of creature. And when he describes what it, what it is, Wes connects the dots and it's like, this guy killed a Baphomet. Now, how is that possible, right? It makes you think, how is that possible that that you could kill a Baphomet? Yet this guy is saying, this is what I've, this is what happened. And he's, he said that when he left with his girlfriend, he took pictures of it on his, uh, his old flip phone camera. And, um, when he came back, it was gone. The blood was there, but the body was gone. And so I don't know, man, like these things, as much as, as, you know, a spiritual demonic entity, they might be, they, they might be more physical than we think. I mean, after all that, what do you think about that? (laughs) I mean, I've never, you know, minus a baphomet, I've never heard anybody else describe having seen uh, a hairy creature, you know, with a goat head. Now, I cannot verify that what I saw had a goat head, as I mentioned before, but uh, I also can't justify that there was a Sasquatch in my sister's room while, you know, my family's home going about their business as normal. Um, Regarding that guy shooting the baphomet, I mean... I really don't know what to say about that. It's it's very interesting hearing that something somebody else has experienced, even something remotely close to what I'm speaking of. Um, you know, I I wish in a sense that I could look and see exactly more details on this thing as far as the face, and that way I could kind of put the puzzle together in my mind and know have a strong feeling about, Oh, it's this for certain. You know, if I, if that creature would have leaned up in the bed or sat up and looked at me and it had a goat head, I would be telling you right now, like, Hey, I saw, I saw a baphomet, you know, or I saw this class of demon in the set room. And, but as of now, it's still, it's, I feel that it was a demon, but I don't know for certain, you know, I just can't justify any other, explanations in my head but like i said with that guy having shot one that is uh bizarre you know who who would i be yeah it's very bizarre but for the thing to fall out of fall out of the tree and uh for him to suspect it of being dead i I find that very interesting i don't i don't think that you could kill a demon with a bullet you know unless there was yeah i really don't know if there would be any way i think you could uh, get rid of a demon through the name of Jesus Christ, but I don't know if even if you tried to sprinkle holy water on uh, your bullets like you were Van Helsing or somebody, I still don't <laughs> know if uh, that would serve you any better than you know uh, shooting it with a rubber band gun or a BB gun. But that guy, I I'm, wouldn't be the right person to say that he's making that up sure. because right. I'm no, yeah. over here telling you the similar story of high strangeness but i think that's very interesting very interesting no yeah and i wasn't i wasn't expecting you to make a judgment call i just you know i find it interesting that he just put out the show this week and now i'm talking to you and you're describing a goat demon you know a baphomet and uh it's just it's very interesting very interesting and um let before we move on to the dresser drawer situation um what did you talk you talked to me about earlier in this interview about having earlier memories before this hairy monster. Were they anything that you want to go into? I mean, I, I'll, I'll definitely talk about what I remember 
um, you know, I find it very interesting, but at the same time, I don't, this is probably going to be even further on the unbelievability scale than, you know, seeing a big black hairy mass in my sister's bed, but <laughs> I'll go ahead and speak about it. Um, recently, I would say within the past year, listening to different podcasts and different shows, uh, for the first time I heard about people that have what they call a pre-life memory. Now these the people that I heard talking about it, you know, they were going into uh, explicit details on how that they remember setting up, they were going to do this with their life and they were going to do this with their life. And, you know, basically plotting everything out before they incarnated or before they were sent to earth, whatever you'd like to say, whatever that process might be of uh, getting your soul into your body. And I just, I remember it was, uh, this is actually my first memory of my life, and it was an agreement, so to speak. You know, I don't remember walking around, you know, seeing angels and, you know, uh, talking with other people. I just remember a voice telling me, in a sense, that it's going to be a hard life, but you'll get to come back. And I remember I was this, I, I remember the feeling of, agreeing to it you know it's like yes as long as i could come back is what i've always felt you know yes as long as i could come back and then really that's it and really at the same time tony that that memory kind of petrifies me because you know i i talked with you earlier a little bit and mentioned that you know i run heavy equipment for a profession and you know that's not really the the profession that's going to have you uh, living the high life, living in mansions and all of that. But I wouldn't classify that as a hard life in any stretch of the imagination. So it absolutely terrifies me to think the implications of the agreement that I made. And I, I honestly feel that I did make this agreement so that I can go back to wherever it is that I had come from. I don't, I can't tell you whether it was, you know, heaven or, uh, some form of purgatory or whatever it was. I just know that I wanted to go back and I agreed to go into this hard, the hard life as it was explained to me, it's going to be a hard life. So I just, uh, you know, thinking about like, I've got it great now, you know, I have a wonderful wife. I have two wonderful children. Uh, and, you know, minus not being filthy rich, which might not even be a good life. You know, I don't find really any hardships in my life. It seems like everything is is rolling right along for me. Now, you know, there's minor problems here and there, like everybody has with life, but there isn't anything that I would classify as hard. Uh, hard to deal with is how I took it. It's going to be painful, I guess, is the best way that I could describe what I look back and classify this agreement as. So uh, it it still absolutely terrifies me to think of what I agreed to because, you know, it wasn't that I set out some path of, yes, I want to do this. You know, when I incarnate, I want to do this. It was just the small memories of it's going to be hard. And then whatever happened, happened after that. And just to think of what may happen that's going to be considered painfully hard uh, so that I could go back to where, wherever it is, it, it terrifies me because it's, 
you know, because I could think of the things now that I would consider painful and hard to deal with. And those, it's a scary thing to think about. And I've just always, you know, growing up, I had this memory, you know, as a teenager and, you know, I have my teenager angst going on and I'm like, oh, this is hard. You know, this is what it meant. But as an adult, I look back on those teenage years and I'm like, man, I had it easy. Like that was the good life right there. And so knowing what I know now, it's, um, it, it, like I said, it's just scary to think of, like, cause I honestly believe this is an actual agreement slash memory that I had that I made. And I don't know. I mean, I guess what any grown man with a family, uh, that they love would consider hard and painful to the point that it would need to be spoken of and agreed to is what I worry are the things that it might have been implying making that agreement. Yeah. I mean, sometimes just the mystery of the unknown, uh, is enough to scare you. And then when it comes to this stuff, this kind of stuff where you just don't quite understand, I can imagine it, it's, it can be pretty scary. I've never experienced anything like that, but, uh, man, it, it's like, like, like I said, it's just the mystery of not knowing what that meant, you know, um, man, that's rough. It's definitely rough. And I don't want to imply that, you know, it's, it's influencing any kind of decisions that I'm making in my life, but it's kind of just like, it'd be kind of like if you knew you were going to die on a certain day or maybe not a day, but the year, you know, in that year, you just kind of be on edge on the lookout, like, Oh man, you know, trying to be extra careful. But I just, I don't think there's any kind of, you know, I don't have any life plan set out in front of me as terms of something that I've already agreed to that I know of. I just know that there's going to be something that, that happens. That's, uh, uh, what I feel now is going to be painfully catastrophic in my life as far as emotionally catastrophic. So it's uh, just one of those deals, you know, I don't let it affect my life. At least I don't know that I let it affect my life, but having that thought in the back of your head that, you know, I made this agreement. So I have a feeling, you know, it's going to be lived up to in uh, one way or the other. So it's just, I guess it's just one of those deals where it is what it is, you know, if that is a valid memory that I have and it's not, you know, me hallucinating as an infant or whatever age I was, then uh, it's just something that I agreed to. And I guess, you know, like I said before, uh, I believe in Jesus Christ. Now, I can't say that where I was was heaven or what it is, but I do know that I wanted to go back. And if it was worth making that agreement, then I just... I feel that it's, you know, then it's probably the right decision that I made uh, to make that agreement. It's just dealing with it in in physical form now is it's worrisome. You know, it's, I heard you say on a different show, Tony, that, you know, you're not afraid to die. You're just afraid of the what may happen in this body. You're kind of... Uh, I guess you could say apprehensive, you know, and I'm kind of putting words in your mouth by describing it, describing it like that. But it's just a, it's one of those deals, you know, I'm not afraid to die, but it, while I'm here and how I go out, you know, that's what's, what's, 
that it gives you the mixed emotions, you know, right. dying, you know, that's fine. Cause I, I know where I'm going when I die, you know, and it's not because of this, this, whatever I had the vision or pre-life memory or whatever you want to call it. It's because of the things, the faith that I have now, you know, it's, I don't believe I'm going anywhere. You know, it's, I've tried to describe it to people before, and I don't really believe in belief in a sense. I don't think that people should believe in Jesus. Well, I do, but not in that sense. It's kind of more like know Jesus. You know, if if you know Jesus is there and that's your savior, it's a different feeling than believe. Because I think believing is kind of trying to convince yourself in a way. And like with me, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I just, it's kind of like, hey, the sky is blue. It's just something, it is what it is. So I feel that will send me back. That will send me back to quite possibly this place or whatever it was or heaven, whatever you want to call it. It's just, um, I don't know. I don't think, I don't know if that agreement has any influence on it, but I think my faith 100% will have an influence on it. And because of that, I think quite possibly what it is that I remember, so to speak, might just be uh, where people go when they die or possibly come from before they incarnate. Wow, man, that's some deep stuff. That really is. That's some deep stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said before, I, I don't fear the idea of death. Uh, I just fear how it's going to happen, you know, because yeah, I, I don't want to go out with cancer. I don't want to go out, you know, painfully slow. I'd rather it be quick and relatively painless. So I fear that. But the idea of death, I do not fear whatsoever. Um, and I think you're probably on the same wavelength as me when it comes to that. Uh, before we, before we get into the whole dresser drawer with you and your sister, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll get into this story. That's pretty interesting. Okay. Yes, sir. Sounds a good time. So we're back now with Brent. And Brent, before we went on to the break, I kind of hinted to the idea that uh, you had some kind of weird experience with a dresser drawer and your sister. And I know I kind of left people like, what was he talking about? But I know you're going to kind of get more into the details here. What exactly happened uh, when you were a kid and the whole dresser drawer thing? Oh, Tony, well... I remember my sister and I were running around in the house just playing. I don't remember what we were playing exactly, but probably tag or something that kids play. Well, we went to, we shared a bedroom at the time and we had a chest of drawers in there that uh, we've had since I can remember. And I remember we ran to the chest of drawers to get something out. I, I don't know what it was. And we pulled open the drawer one up from the bottom, uh, and it's kind of just a narrow drawer. It wasn't, you know, in chest of drawers, typically the bottom one is a massive, you know, big chest type deal uh, that holds a lot of things. It was the one up from that that wasn't, you know, a big drawer. But when we pulled it open, I think it was actually my sister that opened it. It was just full of bones. I mean, and 
not like paper cutout bones, but 3D stacked to the brim. Like you wouldn't even think that the drawer would open, you know, looking back on it without just scuffing everything and having to jar it open. But I remember it, she just pulled it open like it was no problem. And we both looked at it and then we just screamed and took off running. And, you know, I've actually talked to my sister about it. You know, we, we'd spoken about it a lot of times growing up. And uh, I saw her just, man, probably a year ago. And I asked her, you know, like, hey, do you remember we saw the bones in the drawer? And she asked me, like, you know, you were there? And I'm just thinking, like, man, we've talked about this a hundred times. Like, I don't know how you think I wasn't there all of a sudden. But, yeah, she she still remembers it. Uh, yes, it was it was pretty intense. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, so these were human bones that you saw, like, no no doubt about it. Yes, looking back, you know, at the time, I... I wouldn't have been able to tell you they were human or not. You know, I was probably not much older than six or seven at the time, if I was to guess. And, you know, I can't for sure say that we saw a skull, which at the time would indicate to me, like, yeah, these are human bones, seeing a human skull. I don't have that in my memory of this event. I just remember it was bones from the bottom to the top of the drawer, where normally there was clothes in there, you know, and it wasn't like a Halloween costume type deal where you see just fake bones and plastic drawn on top of a, a t-shirt. Like it was even looking back on it as an adult, you know, I realized like that's <laughs> anybody looking back on it would be like, Hey, that's, that's not normal. You know, you must have <laughs> killed a bunch of people and put them in your chest of drawers. So it's, yeah, it's a crazy thing that happened, but, you know, it's it's kind of one of those deals, you know, I'm sure whenever you have these types of experiences, it, it's strange, you know, it just leaves an imprint in your mind. Uh, you never forget it, you know, no matter how old you get, how young you were, it's just constantly, I don't want to say constantly burned into your brain, but it's just, a, it's a deal where that memory is always there. It's never going to go away, I guess. And it makes me wonder, you know, if these are, I'm sure it was a traumatic event for me as a kid, you know, seeing a, you know, a drawer full of bones, but it makes me wonder, you know, what kind of emotional marks this leaves on a person's psyche, you know, seeing things like this as a child, you know, I'm, I'm me. So I don't, I can't look back and say like, Oh yeah, this made me do this or changed my outlook on life in this way or that. You know, but for me to remember it from such a young age, like some of these other things that we've talked about, it's uh, it makes it just makes me wonder as an adult looking back on it, like how this affected me, how it affected my sister, and I haven't talked to her about how it affected her, but I did, you know, ask her if she remembers it, and she definitely does. It's it's uh, she's able to describe it basically the same as what I'm saying. And by basically the same, I mean exactly the same as what I remember seeing. Well, at least you know that you're not going crazy. You know, that's validation and that has to be comforting. But uh, was this the same house from before with the black hairy creature on your sister's bed? No, this would have been later on uh, in life. This was, I believe, at a house in Alexandria, Louisiana. Um, It was not wherever it was that I was at before that, when I saw the hairy creature, it's uh, a totally different place, but uh, there's been strange 
things that have kind of followed us around or maybe that we just naturally stumble into throughout our lives. Um, or maybe it's just that we're, I guess, not closed off to the point where uh, we're not able to see these things. I'm wondering what, if you know of any kind of history that surrounded that property. You know, like, do you know if there's anything with uh, Native Americans or anything like that with that property or near there? Because uh, the fact that you had a dresser drawer full of bones is just, I don't know, it's just so bizarre that uh, it makes me feel like there's got to be some kind of, I don't know, history with the property or something. Uh, do you know anything? Uh, regarding that property, no. But uh, one thing that I was going to speak of is, you know, we are, uh, my sister and I were uh, an eighth Native American, which I know is not that I'm full-blooded Native American, but uh, there's a little bit more to that. Uh, my great, I believe it's my great aunt, uh, my dad's mother's sister was a full-blooded Indian. And she was, and I know a lot of people say this, but she was uh, the shamanistic type, the healer, the medicine woman. And it, it, it's, I've heard so many people say that, that I think, you know, like, well, heck, everybody that's Native American must have been a shaman in some way or another because it seems <laughs> that everybody was related to a shaman in some form or another. But uh, from what I know growing up uh, and what I was taught was that the female would have to teach the male and it would be the generation below them. So my great aunt couldn't, for instance, teach her daughter anything. And then her daughter would, uh, it would have to be her son or nephew or somebody in the bloodline that was a male if it was a female teaching. And then that went to my dad. Um, allegedly, he said that he did not want to learn, but that same uh same process would have fallen to my sister. So when I'm talking about being, at least with what we were taught about this, I'm not the one that would be the, the shaman. So I'm not trying to say, you know, it's my turn. It's actually just the opposite. It's, it was my sister that would have been chosen to be the one that carried on the tradition. And then after that, it would have gone to uh, my sons since uh, my sister only had uh, female daughters. Uh, so you know, I don't know if that history has anything to do with what it is that we've experienced in our family, but I, I can't say that, you know, it would not have been me that would be the person that inherited those teachings. Uh, so I'm not trying to come off as, yes, I'm some a shaman from uh, some Indian bloodline. You know, it would even if we were taught the teachings, it wouldn't have gone to me. It would have gone to my sister. But at the same time, with that being said, it's continuing on would go to my, my sons or one of my sons. And it just so happens that there's one that sees some things that would make the hair on your arm stand up on end uh, when he's just telling you about it. It's, so he's definitely got the gift of being able to see. Um, but yeah, like I said, you know, as even though I come from a family of the traditional uh, medicine woman or, you know, shamanistic type, I, I would not have been the one that inherited those teachings just by the fact that it, it was my father that had it. And then it had to be taught to a female of 
the same bloodline, but the generation, the next generation. Um, yeah. That all makes sense to me. I mean, I know that the whole shamanism and a lot of that stuff, it has a lot to do with generational kind of things and things being passed down throughout the generations. I mean, that's really just Native Americans in general and their traditions. It's very cultured traditions, and I, I respect that a lot. Uh, before we go any further, would you be willing to share anything that your son has seen, or is that more in-house kind of thing? Oh, no, I, I wouldn't have a problem. Uh, it's really just been one thing that just made the hairs on my arm stand up. Uh, we recently moved from Texas to Colorado. And when we were staying in Texas, uh, this is probably a little over a year ago, uh, my son was in his room and uh, I was actually in the next room over uh, playing video games on the computer, I believe it was. And my son comes out just white as a ghost, just kind of screaming. And then we're like, hey, what's wrong? What's wrong? You know, what's wrong? And he said, uh, that thing in my room, you know, that thing in my room. And I forget, I want to say he described it as a man, but then when he describes it, it, it wasn't a man, you know, it's, uh, but he was playing with his toys on the floor. And the best way that I could describe him describing it was if you were to squat down, uh, if you were to be standing up and then you squatted down to where you're kind of, your knees are almost at your chest. You know, he's describing it to us. He was like, you know, that man, he came through my room and he squats down, you know, his knees are at his chest and he starts kind of waddling forward. And he said that this thing came through his back wall, walked right past him. Oof, I'm actually getting goosebumps even talking about it right now. But uh, it walked right past him and then came out the door uh, of his room. His door was actually closed and he was in there just playing with his brother. And, uh, you could tell, I mean, he was, I think, five at the time. And we don't really, uh, we're kind of old school in the sense that we don't like them watching a bunch of TV. You know, they don't get to watch scary movies. They don't get to watch anything that's, you know, PG-13 because they're so young. Um, so ghosts aren't really something that was on his radar as of yet. And just him describing it as a man that came through his back wall. And, and one thing that really got me about it was when he was talking about it, it wasn't like uh, necessarily panicked, like, oh my goodness, I just saw something crazy. When he was talking about it, it was just matter of fact. Like he's just explaining it to us, like, you know, and then he came through the back wall and he's walking across his room, squatted down, uh, demonstrating to us. He's like, then he went out the, the door through his room. And at this house, you know, and this happens to so many people, but you'd see what you could only describe as a shadow figure type deal. And you would always see him kind of like not peeking around the corner, but standing at the, the, the entrance to a room. So you'd be kind of just doing whatever you're doing in, in your peripheral. You would think somebody's standing at the door. So you look over and then there's nothing there. And we would constantly see that at this house. And I've wondered since that happened, you know, if that, the shadowy aspect to it uh, had anything to do with what he saw come through his room. But it, it really, I just, I would have him come in here and describe it to you, but he's going to, you know, give you a bunch of hand signals and he won't understand trying to describe it over the phone. But it's just, when he talks about it, you know, it's not that 
oh, I saw a ghost. I saw this because we actually told him it was an angel because uh, we were worried. You know, we didn't want to say, oh, it's a ghost. And we couldn't say, oh, it was nothing, you know, because when he's telling us, it's like matter of fact, you know, like I saw this come through the wall. He squatted down, walked across the room, did this, went through my door. And, you know, I'm asking him, well, what were you doing? He's like, I, I stopped playing with my toys, you know, like he watched it go through his room and out the door. And, uh, yeah, I've, like I said, I've wondered if the shadowy aspect has had anything to do with it. And, uh, you know, since we've moved out of that house, uh, we haven't had any of the same issues. You know, it's not like we're habitual shadow seeing people, you know, it's not like that. And uh, our son actually told us when we moved, you know, that he was glad that we moved because he doesn't see the scary things anymore. And it, I think he's still a little too young to go into details, you know, about what the possibilities could be that he's seeing. You know, I, I did tell him that, you know, it was here recently. I told him, you know, like, tell me what happened when he saw that ghost. And he's like, what ghost? You know, I was like, well, the angel at the other house. And I mean, he'll still describe it to you like it was yesterday. But like I said, we didn't want to tell him like, oh, you saw a ghost come through your door and walk, you know, float across the room and walk out the other side. I mean, because that's just not something we wanted him to worry about, I guess you would say. But now that we're out of that house and we don't see the, the shadows so much, it's not so intimate and so close to us that we... I've actually talked with him a little bit about it and told him, you know, that it could have been a ghost and I didn't tell him, you know, to scare him or anything, but just, I don't want to lie to him. You know, I don't want him to think these things are angels coming through the house when in fact, we don't know that it's an angel. He might try to communicate with an angel or, you know, cause obviously he associates angels with good and I can't, I don't know that that's what this is. I don't know if it had any good intentions, but I know when he saw it, it terrified him for the fact that he had never seen anything like that so intimately. Um, I'm sure he's seen, you know, different things, but I mean, this was like, uh, still to this day, you know, he will, he'll tell you every detail about it, you know, and now he adds in he doesn't squat down anymore and walk across his room but he tries making the shape with his hands like it looked like this you know and uh, asked i asked him like is it was it a man and uh when he originally said was you know this man came through my room but now that he's a little older you know he's got the details a little bit more to where he doesn't describe it as much as like a child would describe it it's more you know, he'll just kind of matter-of-factly show you the rough shape that it was in, how high it was off the ground, you know, how fast it came through his room, just things like that. So, uh, you know, like I said, we would see shadows in that house, you know, like somebody standing at the doorway kind of watching you, and then you'd look back and there's nothing there. But I never had any kind of experience there where, you know, something came through the wall, floated through the room, and, you know, he saw it when it started happening, you know, so it wasn't like he caught a glimpse of it out his peripheral. Like, he explains it as he was playing with his toys. He saw it come through the back wall, and he stopped and watched this thing float right past him uh, out the door. So uh, I don't know. You know, I, we told him it was, like I said, an angel for a while, but, you know, now he knows that it might not be an angel. So 
he hasn't described any other events like that. But with it being so intimate that first time, or what I know is the first time, I definitely think that he's he's got the eye for it, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, just hearing you talk about it, it sounds like you get the feeling that maybe this wasn't a once and done thing, that he has seen things periodically. Is that Am I reading into it too much? Uh, no, definitely not. You know, I think if, because I know he would see that, like, there was something that scared him about the other house. Like, he didn't, he just felt there was something bad there. To the point that when we moved, he was like, so I don't have to go back to the other house again? And then it's like, no, you know, and he was, he explained that he's, glad that he didn't have to deal with the scary stuff anymore like oh, i didn't want to have to see the scary stuff anymore and when we were at the other house he never told us really minus that incident that we told him it was an angel but he never really talked about the scary stuff until we were out of that house and that's when you know he brought up uh, the scary things that would bother him and i don't mean like physically bother him touching him or pulling him off the bed or anything extreme like that that he's told us about, but there was something there that made him uneasy and more than just, you know, being afraid of the dark or something along those lines, you know, we would, my wife would feel something watching her, you know, to see the shadows out of the corner of her eye. Um, you know, I would see him and my boy just flat out saw something come through his room. So I definitely know if he's got the, if he's, so close to whatever it is that lets you see these things that he's able to see something just fully manifest and come through his room right, right next to him and go out the door that he's, I have no doubt in my mind that he's seen other things. Yeah. Now when he comes to you and says what he saw, how'd that, how'd you react? I mean, what did you feel inside? I mean, I, I probably would have felt so scared for the kid, you know, like, uh, what did you do? Uh, well, just like I had mentioned a little bit earlier, like uh, it, right away when he was telling me about it, I mean, just the hairs on my entire body were standing on end because it wasn't like, you know, he had a bad dream because he was in his room playing. He, he was fully aware of something that just happened. And he came to us and was explaining to it like, hey, we ate dinner last night. It wasn't like, you know, any kind of, uh, glorified details trying to make the story sound better than it was. It was like he was telling us something that we already knew, you know, like, yeah, I just saw this thing come through the room and he's white as a ghost, like, like he just saw a ghost, so to speak. And I just remember all the hair standing up on my body. And I don't know if it was because of the details or what the reason was that it, it felt so ominous to us that, you know, it's just, I'm sure you've been in those situations where the hairs stand up on the back of your neck, but our reaction to it was we were scared in a sense, you know, cause there's nothing, we didn't have the financial means to be like, Oh, well we're out of here, you know? So right away, all we could think of the telling was like, Oh, you saw, you had an angel come through your room because we didn't want it to scare him in a sense. But, you know, as time passed since then, I did regret telling him that because it's, we don't know what it was that came through his room, you know? So I've let him know a little bit more that, like I'd mentioned that it probably, it might not have been an angel. Um, but really that was the best. That's the only way we thought of to 
react to that situation because it, it went from, you know, seeing shadow things that could be written off as, you know, oh, I'm just seeing whatever it is, uh, odd reflections or just odd things through my peripheral that you can explain to being something that was definitely, uh, definitely was interacting in that house in some form or another. Uh, so it was, it was scary, but, you know, I think we kind of took the, the, the crummy way out by saying, you know, that it was an angel. I would like to think that it was, but uh, I haven't really heard of any people having interactions with angels where it's just some odd thing that comes floating through your room, doesn't pay you any attention, then floats out your door. Um, so I guess, you know, it, it was scary for us. It was uh, caught us off guard, so to speak. I didn't, didn't really know how to handle that situation. Uh, so, you know, I guess... In a sense, we lied. You know, we tried to downplay the situation and say that you had angels in your room, and uh, it probably wasn't the best thing to do looking back on it. But being as it was just went from nothing to up in your face so quickly, that's really the only reaction that we thought to have. Yeah, and I mean, it is what it is. I mean, he's a little kid, and you're trying to comfort him, make sure that he feels safe in his home. I mean, it's his home. He's vulnerable there, you know, like you don't want him being scared. So I can understand not telling him that it could be something scary or whatever and call it, trying to make him feel comfortable with it. I totally understand that. Uh, and I understand where you were coming with that. Uh, before we get into the next topic here, we I want to get into the lady in white that your sister, I believe you said your sister saw. I want to get into that right after the break. Uh, we'll be right back. Okay, we're back. And uh, before we went on the break, I kind of hinted to the idea that you were going to talk about a lady in white. Uh, I believe you said that your sister saw it. What was the story behind that? Uh, this was just something that happened when we were young. And I would like to to say right off the top that I never personally saw a lady in white, but I'll get into the details of it. Uh, when When we were sleeping, at night, my sister and I shared a room at this point in time. Uh, she would wake up in the night and take off running out of the room. And I only saw her actually take off running out of the room one time. And I remember my parents came in to, you know, see what was going on. Uh, but what she would say is that she'd wake up and look over to my bed and there would just be a lady in white hovering at the foot of the bed, staring at me. Now, like I said, I never saw this for myself, uh, but this happened on multiple occasions where she would wake up and she'd look up and, you know, just th there was a lady in white staring at me. And 
like I, I, I never saw it, but I could definitely say that she believes that she saw it 100%. Uh, and it's just that one time that I heard, I guess some, something woke me up from my sleep. And then I, you know, opened my eyes and I was facing her bed on the other side of the room. And I just saw her take off out of the room to my parents' room. And uh, my parents woke up and came, came in to check everything out. And, you know, it was uh, Amanda, my sister, sitting there saying, you know, she was standing on the bed or sitting over the bed right here. And I don't remember if she said she was standing on the bed or if she was floating at the foot of the bed exactly. Uh, the detail I really just remember is that it was a lady in white allegedly watching me as I sleep, just staring at me. And she would say, you know, she's just staring at Brent. She's just staring at Brent. And, you know, I, as a kid, I probably would have never known why, you know, my parents are coming in there to check the room. Uh, but my sister came in the room with them and she's sitting there, you know, she was staring at Brent. She was staring at Brent. So, um, asked my parents, like, who was staring at me? And, you know, I, I don't remember if they told me at that time, but at some point in time, you know, whenever I asked that question, who was staring at me, they said, you know, Amanda said the lady in white is staring at you while you sleep. But I had woken up that time where, you know, she took off and my parents came into the room and I, I had woken up at the point where, uh, I was alert enough to see her jump out of bed and take off out of the room when this is allegedly happening. But I did not see any kind of apparition staring at me at that point in time. And I never did see any kind of apparition staring at me. So I guess it's just kind of secondhand, but it's, it weirds me out a little bit to think, you know, even, even today, you know, having read some of the things I've read, I've, I've actually heard of other people that have had similar issues to this of there just being actually a lady in white that sits there and stares at them while they sleep, but nobody seems to have a reason for it. And I mean, I could hypothesize, but really it's, it's, it's useless that I do so because I just don't know what it would be or what the reason would be, or if there would even be, a reason behind it. And I don't know why it happens to other people just the same, that some, some lady in white sits at the foot of your bed and stares at you while you sleep. I, I, I don't know. I don't really know what to say to, you know, it's, it's kind of like if you were to tell me right now, you know, that some lady in white stared at you when you were sleeping, like there's just nothing more that you can know about it. You can't, ask the lady, why are you staring at me while I sleep? You know, it's just all hypothesis. And I remember, you know, once I found out what was going on, it wasn't that I didn't find it really scary as I thought it was kind of cool. I mean, as goofy as that sounds now that I'm an adult, you know, it's like, well, there's got to be a reason this lady's staring at me. Like I'm special. Like I remember I used to tell myself that like, if I've got some white apparitions, lady in white staring at me, then there's got to be some spectacular reason why this is happening. Cause I would say that to myself, like, this is my guardian angel, you know, my guardian angels basically on watch while I sleep, but being an adult now, I don't really, I don't think that was probably the case. You know, it's probably some other odd reason, but I doubt your angels necessarily need to sit there and watch you sleep and just, at you at the foot of your bed. 
Well, I mean, I, I have heard of angels doing such things. I mean, I I recently uh, shared on a on an episode, or actually during an interview, that there was a guy that I went to college with that he had told us that he would wake up in the middle of the night and look over and see these what he described as angels standing over his roommate watching him sleep, and uh, I was like, "Can I come over?" Like <laughs> I wanted, I wanted to see it, you know. I was like, well, "I got to see this for myself." I, I never did, but um, yeah, I mean, who knows? But your sister, did she see this on multiple occasions? Is that what you were saying? Yeah, she's uh, talking about it to her as a grown up. She would say, you know, that it happened a lot of times. Uh, it's just that I, I was sleeping. So, you know, typically I wouldn't even wake up whenever she took off out of the room. And I guess my parents would come in the room and check things out and everything would be normal. And so I wouldn't even be uh, woken up out of my sleep. But it's just this one time in particular that I remember is that I either heard her scattering around in her bed before she took off running or I just happened to wake up and glance as she's getting ready to go into a dead sprint out of the bedroom. And, you know, of course, right away, that, that kind of wakes you up. If you know, the person that you share a room with is running out of the room, like they're being chased by a rabid dog. Uh, but whenever it woke me up, I didn't, you know, I, I can't say for certain if I even looked at the end of my bed and looked up as to if there was something there, because I didn't know the situation at the time. And as an adult, you know, if I was told something like that, I would love to open my eyes and check it out and see. But, uh, you know, being a kid, it's just there's only that one time that I remember her actually taking off running, going to get my parents and coming in her saying, you know, like she was right there. You know, she was right there watching him. And then, of course, you know, as I guess as I mature, kind of like my son is, I start getting more and more details of exactly what what happened. But uh, my sister, yes, she saw it on multiple occasions. And like, like you said, uh, I believe you said it was a friend of your, was it your college roommate's friend or? Yeah, uh, roommate. Yes, yes, their college friend's roommate. I mean, it makes me curious as to why, you know, because I've heard of other people of that happening too, you know, it wasn't, I've never heard anybody say it was angels watching them sleep, but of a lady in white that watches you sleep and I'd be curious to know if it's if it's all males that this is happening to uh, and what the age of the males are you know just uh, the only ones I've heard of this happening to are males which could just be uh, happenstance but uh, it's it's odd I find it very odd and you know there would have to be some kind of reason behind it because you know I don't think that there's anything special about me that's going to that would warrant, you know, angels watching me sleep, so to speak. Uh, I would actually think just, you know, I'd be more likely to have uh, some scary ghost watching me sleep over an angel. I just don't know what I would have that would justify that kind of privilege that other people I know that are better than me don't have a similar experience, at least that they know of. Yeah, I mean, there is no rhyme or reason, I would think, Uh you know, like dealing with these kind of topics, I mean, we can hypothesize, like you said earlier, about what we think certain things mean or why certain things happen, but really it's all conjecture. 
we don't know. And more than likely, we're not going to find out anytime soon. So uh, it's your guess is as good as mine as to what it was or anything like that. I mean, I just find it fascinating that this happened on multiple occasions. You never saw it, but your sister did. Um, And I'm going to start suggesting something here. And you tell me if this is inaccurate. But when you saw the bones in the dresser drawer, whose dresser drawer was it? It was a drawer that I don't remember who actually had their things in that drawer, but this was uh, like a kind of a shelf with five drawers on it. And both my sister and myself shared it. So I'm not sure whose it was that was in the physical drawer of the bones, but uh, it was a shared dresser. Okay. So it was at least to some extent your sister's drawer. Uh, You saw the hairy monster thing on your sister's bed and your sister's the one seeing this white lady entity in the room looking over you. And you said that your sister would have been the one up next for the shamanism. Is this something that you think could be a connection that maybe she, maybe your sister is the common denominator between all this stuff? I mean, I have never actually thought of it that way before, but you know, I guess I've never actually talked about all these events in one sitting, you know, I might tell one of these stories every couple of years to somebody, but I've never actually gone through these different things that happened. But I mean, I guess you could say that's the, that is the common denominator between these events. Uh, I mean, if yeah, you don't if, if you don't feel that it is, feel free to say so. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm just trying to connect dots here, if possible. No, I don't feel like you're putting words in my mouth at all. I think that's very astute that you even put those dots together in the first place. Because, you know, like I said, when my sister is uh, seeing a lady in white over my bed, and I find out about it, I'm over there thinking like, yeah, I'm I'm the cool one that gets somebody to watch them on the street. <laughs> When in reality, it might not have been that it was me. It was her perceiving that, you know, and like you said, with the bones, she was there next to me. Uh, So, yeah, that's a that's a very good point. And I've never actually thought about it uh, that way. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know much about shamanism, obviously, but and maybe you could tell me is shamanism. Is that something that maybe could be inherited through the generations without even trying kind of thing. Like, is that, could that be something that like, she's just starting to pick up on uh, naturally, or is that something that has, that has to be taught to the person? I definitely think, well, I'm personally a believer that in a sense, your DNA is kind of uh, built in memory in a sense. Uh, You, of course, you don't come out living your father's life, but you have markers of those experiences in your DNA. So, I definitely think that it it has to be generational. Yes, I believe that. And I actually do believe that it has to go male and female, male and female, like I was uh, told as a child. Um, but I also do think that if you want to, I guess you could say fully grasp what it is that uh, your potential is that you do have to be taught. And I know that she was not taught, you know, and allegedly my father uh, said no to Uh, being taught the techniques by his aunt. So uh, I think it's, yes, it's generational. Yes, it does have to go a certain way. Uh, 
a certain chain of not chain of events, but a certain, I guess, uh, succession of people. Like I said, the female to male, the female to male aspect. I think that's also a requirement. But and I do think you know if you're taught the and I don't know how old these teachings would have been. I mean, heck, for all I know, my great aunt could have been the first one and she just made it all up. But that's not what was really talked about in our family. You know, it it had come from further back in the bloodline and uh, and it just stopped at my father as far as I know. But yes, I think basically all of the above, Tony. I think, yes, it's in your blood. I think it's generational, but I think if you are taught about it, it would open up doors uh, that are probably a lot foggier, foggier to try to look through if you haven't been taught. I think you might still see through those doors. I just don't think it's at necessarily at your control how you see through it or when you see through it or if the door is even fully open or if you're just kind of peeking under the door and getting just a glimpse of what it is that I guess could be your potential with the proper training. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It, there's definitely some weird things when it comes to generations and things being passed on, whether it's through your DNA or whatever. Uh, my mom, she's, I, this is going to sound bad, but she's so weird because <laughs> like she, I don't know if she has ESP or, or what? But my my mom, she's an old school Christian lady, and but she she has these characteristics where like she can predict things, and she's done little things here and there throughout my life. I I can't even think of an example from when I was a kid. I just remember mom being a little different, <laughs> and uh, just recently, and I, hopefully she doesn't listen to this episode. I'm sure she won't, uh, at least by the time it airs. But just recently, she guessed my son's name. So my we're not telling anybody my child's uh, name before he gets here. And recently, just this past weekend, my mom guessed his first name and his middle name. And I'm like... How the heck does she do that? You know, like I didn't tell her she's right, but uh, it, it's weird because when I was a kid, I remember distinctly there was times that I felt like I knew something was going to happen before it happened, and it was uncontrollable. And I remember the one time I only remember this one time where I stood up, I got off the the couch, I walked over to the phone in the house. This is before cell phones; you had an actual landline, and. I put my hand on the phone and just as I put my hand on the phone, it rang. I picked it up and I answered it, gave the phone to my mom and my dad looked at me and he's like, did you know that was going to ring? And I just, I remember saying yes. And I sat down on the couch and we continued to watch TV. He didn't want to talk about it, (laughs) but I, I don't remember ever doing that again. I remember that one time where I just had this feeling and I walked over to the phone and answered it and that was that. But uh, it, it's interesting to think that things can be passed on throughout generations. Uh, and when it comes to the shamanism thing, like I said, I, I don't know much about it, but it's very interesting, absolutely interesting. Uh, and, you know, that was just some some of the connections that I, I started thinking about while you're telling these different stories, because your sister just seemed like, a, you know, a common denominator. Definitely. And, you know, I would also like to say that I don't know much about it either. I don't want to come off in a sound as if, you know, I'm some expert on Native American mysticism in any shape, sense, or form, because that's just not the case. 
Um, but I guess I would have a slight advantage to people that haven't uh, been exposed to anything similar to that just due to the fact of hearing, you know, stories from my grandmother and my father and talking about, you know, different things that have happened before. Uh, so, yes, I just don't want anybody out there listening to actually think, you know, that I'm some type of mystic that could, uh, that looks into, you know, smoke and takes DMT and has trips and finds my animal <laughs> or whatever it might be, because that's just not the case. Um, but like I said, you know, regarding my sister, yes, that, that is, uh, that's an astute observation. It's, it's very interesting, you know, to even look at it from that, that side of the box, because I'm, you know how it is. You get used to seeing things from your own personal side and you never actually get a chance to look at the full picture until, you know, somebody might help you put those pieces together. Right. But I, I definitely see that, you know, it's, you know, there's been things that have happened without my sister, but you know, the events that, uh, there's been strange things that have happened uh, when I was by myself, but you know, the extent of seeing those things that, uh, kind of scarred me through my childhood, uh, not necessarily in a detrimental way, but just in a way that I'll remember it until I believe till the day I die. Uh, yeah, I just think it's very interesting uh, that she's involved in all those. Yeah, I, I absolutely, uh, I think it's all interesting, man. So uh, before we get out of here, I wanted to just go into one more topic here with you because you mentioned it earlier. Uh, you mentioned to me that you had some type type of visions of hell, I think is how you phrased it. Uh, what do you mean by that? Okay, well, with that, it's uh, just, I don't want to say, I guess I could classify it as dreams, uh, but I don't really, it wasn't, you know, like it's kind of those weird deals where it, it was happening at nighttime. I remember I, I might have been sleeping. I don't. I don't want to say it wasn't a dream, but the dream itself physically impacted me. It's, uh, I remember it being to the point, and the reason that I could say it was a dream or I was, uh, it was at nighttime was because I was afraid to go to sleep um, because it happened just so often that it was like a repetitive deal just every night and every night. And I didn't, what really got me about the the situation was I would forget the dream. You know, I would go to sleep and have this dream and then forget it, go to sleep, have this dream and forget it. And I remember we were, I was driving, I was in the back seat. My mother was driving us into town one day and I looked up into the sky and I was watching the clouds and it just clicked right then. And I realized that, you know, I keep having this like over and over and over and over. And then at that moment, like, I don't, I don't know what triggered it, what triggered the memory of this happening all the time, but it's something did. And then I realized, you know, like, Hey, this is happening when you go to sleep. Like, and it was so bad that I was scared to go to bed, you know, at that point, like the night before that I had been having those dreams, but I wasn't scared to go to sleep. I didn't, it wasn't there when I woke up, but this something triggered it to where I realized at that moment, you know, this is going on. This is happening every night or at least what felt like every night. And uh, I didn't want to go back to sleep. I just, uh, there's just, 
I don't know. It was freaking scary is really all I could describe it as. I mean, and it, being a kid, you know, it wasn't the feeling of, you know, something's under my bed, you know, or, oh, there's something in my closet. I better go look, you know, or turn the light on. It wasn't like that. It's like, I don't want to go to sleep because this is going to happen. And it's going to be absolutely terrifying when it does just kind of, I guess, matter of fact, like, you know, it's, it is going to happen. I realized that it was happening so frequently, like just night after night. And the only way that I could describe it would be hell. You know, that's, you know, even being an adult, looking back on it, I feel like, you know, that's what it was. You know, I've never seen any movies that were, well, throughout my childhood, I had never seen any movies that were even remotely close to what it was I was seeing. It's, it's really hard to describe that. I mean, I could describe it, but it's just the feeling overall, the, the sights that you would see are, it's really, it's just something else, you know, it's, there hasn't been a movie made about it yet. So, you know, I, I can't, just can't think of where I would have picked it up and, and actually with that being said, there has been a movie that I think got it somewhat close. Um, but as a child, there wasn't anything that I could think of even into my adulthood that would have triggered those visions, I guess you would say, you know, it's, I guess you could call it dreams. You could call it visions, but being, uh, being young, I didn't look at it like dreams. I looked at it like, I don't want to go to sleep because this is, I'm going to have to go there again. I'm going to have to see that again. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I can understand the fear of going, not go, not wanting to go to sleep and stuff from that kind of thing. Uh, that, that's gotta be, it's just scary. Like you said, it's just, you were freaking scared and, and <laughs> I can understand that totally. Uh, with everything that you've experienced, you know, from beginning to end, all these different experiences you had, uh, what would you say to people as we get out of here? What would you say to people uh, that are experiencing crazy things like you've experienced? They may not be the exact same thing, but they're experiencing crazy things in their lives. What would you say to them on how to possibly cope with these kind of things? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I guess it really just depends on where you're at in, in your life. Uh, but being who I am now, uh, what I would say is, and I know this, a lot of people might not like this, but find Jesus Christ because, you know, I, I consider myself a Christian, but I'm not your typical, uh, I guess, stereotypical Christian that a lot of people classify Christians as, um, you know, you had mentioned earlier, uh, that people classify, they think of the aliens and the greys as demons. And I'm actually one of those people. I, I believe that at least to some extent. Now, I, I'm not necessarily saying that the entire thing is the same. It's not one and the same. I think there's more uh, layers to the situation. But, you know, even in the UFO abduction phenomenon that people describe, I've never been in this situation. But over the past couple of years, I've been noticing when reading about these cases that even people that are being abducted by what they think are aliens, 
You know, they're, I'm be, they say I'm being operated on by a gray alien or I'm being operated on by some kind of reptilian being. They call on the name of Jesus to help them, and instantly it stops. I, I studied the occult. There's people that talk about summoning demons, summoning entities, uh, summoning different beings, but the one that you cannot summon is Jesus Christ. The one that protects you is Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, and of course, what we've learned from the Bible, you know, it, it talks about it. There's even other religions would talk about a coming Savior. You know, now not everybody thinks that that Savior was Jesus Christ. It just so happens that everybody talked about somebody exactly like Jesus coming. And then once he arrived, people said, well, somebody like that's coming later. You know, so it's it's not that everybody believes the same thing, but almost every single culture has talked about the coming of a savior and know that there is power in the name of Jesus and in the belief of Jesus and in, in the knowing of Jesus. I mean, know that he's there for you. And if I may, I'd like to say one more thing about that. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, you know. In the Old Testament, people would sacrifice animals so that they could speak to God, so that they could approach God. Uh, they would look for pure lambs, and they would raise these lambs to only eat the correct food. They would have to be without blemish. You know, they would, it would have to be the perfect lamb, the best lamb in their flock. And then they would sacrifice this lamb so that they could approach God, whether it was clean or whether that was just the offering that they felt or were told needed to be offered. Now, I personally believe that, that the law of that time is still valid in a sense. I think that if you have a pure-blooded lamb, you know, if you have a pure-blooded whatever, that's the best that you can offer without blemish. I think that you can still sacrifice that animal on a sacrificial altar and ask to be able to approach God, ask to be clean. But what are the chances of you driving down the road and then you get into a car accident, you realize that you're bleeding out. Are you just going to be happen to be carrying around a, a pure blooded lamb without blemish in your back seat? And if so, are you going to be able to get that animal to the front and somehow sacrifice it so that you can approach God? Uh, it's sure it's possible. I mean, maybe there's that one in a billion chance that somebody's going to just happen to carry around that lamb with them and sacrificial items needed to approach God uh, and altars, whatever. But you don't need to anymore. All that's what Jesus came for was he is that offering that when you need him, he is there for you. It's and it's immediate. If you believe in your heart. No matter how evil you've been, no matter what you've done, if you believe in your heart, Jesus will have your back and it will give you a way to approach God forgiven for the things that you've done. So assume you're, if something happens to anybody listening to this and you haven't been the best person, just know that you don't need that lamb anymore. You don't have to do Old Testament activities so that you can approach God, that Jesus came to be that lamb. And I know so many people have said this before, 
but I just wanted to put it into perspective that there may come a time when you need to call on Jesus to be forgiven. And if you're having experiences like some of the things that I've had, just know that you can call on Jesus. And if you believe in your heart that he will be there and he is the most powerful name uh, in, in any circles, in the occult circles, in, in other religions, everybody knows of Jesus, you know, in Christianity, Jesus calling the name of Jesus in demon possession cases. A lot of times people aren't able to utter those words, but simply evoking him from another person can have profound effects. So I guess that's what I would like to say is don't be afraid to call on that name because the lamb's already been sacrificed for you. You don't have to drive around with the lamb in your back seat in case something unexpected happens. Just know that you could call on Jesus at any point in time. And if it's in your heart, and if you do believe, he'll be there for you. Right on, man. I've uh, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I'm Tony Merkel, and I approve that message. So <laughs> uh, thanks for sharing, man. I really appreciate that, Brent. And uh, if you ever want to talk about some other things that maybe happened since the last time we talked, feel free to get a hold of me. Sounds good, Tony. Thank you. Right on, man. Take care. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And let me just say, I've been getting a lot of emails, a lot of comments on social media from people saying that they actually schedule time on their weekends, like Saturday or Sunday, to sit down and listen to the confessionals with their family, whether it's their parents or with their children or their spouses. People are actually making this a family event, and that means a ton to me because sometimes you sit there and you think, is the show reaching people in a positive way, the way you envision it to be? And when I get these emails and these comments over the last couple of weeks, it really kind of validated everything I've been trying to do with growing the show. We're growing a lot, and it's because of you guys, the fans, that are actually out there sharing the show, talking to friends about the show. It means a lot to me. When I say we as a show, I mean you as a fan base, including myself. We together are growing the show. I cannot grow the show alone. Me, an army of one, can't cut it. You guys, the listeners out there, are the backbone of this show. And I really appreciate everything you guys do for the show by sharing it around. It means a ton to me. You guys are awesome. Maybe I'm just a little sentimental because my son being born. I don't know, but I'm going to stop being sappy for you. Have a great week. Stay safe. And I'll see you right here next week on The Confessionals.
What you got to say, Ben? What you got to say? Say something. Say hi, everybody. Okay, well, that's how you say hi to <laughs> And that's Ben saying hi. Oh, buddy. Okay. okay.